We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. See T-Mobile.com. It is 8.10 in the Twin Cities. I am jumping on this because there is so much to talk about tonight. Uh, Justice Brett Kavanaugh was confirmed by the United States Senate by a vote of 50 to 48 late this afternoon. He has already been sworn in. He is on the United States Supreme Court. It is great to be back here uh, on a Saturday night, uh, such an important day, an historic day. There are a lot of people who are thrilled and there are a lot of people who are very upset in this nation. Uh, I could not uh, be more grateful to have one of my absolute favorite guests back on. It's been a long time since we've been on together on CCO Radio, uh, Professor David Schultz of Hamlin University. I'm glad to be back on the air with you. Absolutely. And, 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 you know, you helped me out so much, you know, for stories for WCCO TV, but it has been a number of months since we've been on, uh, or since I've been on, uh, WCCO radio. Uh, you are, in addition to being, you know, a political scientist, you are also a constitutional law professor. I, I guess I want to start here and we want, we're going to get into the politics, folks, uh, and the implications, but I do want to start uh, with your opinion about what, the, what does this mean for the United States Supreme Court? Well, we're going to look at it in two different ways. One of them we're going to look at, I think, immediately in terms of, let us say, um, the, the law. And then we, we have to talk about the politics on the court in a different way. But in terms of the law... And, and the politics in general. <laughs> politics in general. So we have like multiple levels to look at it here. But one way to think about it here is, is that when Anthony Kennedy announced his, um, um, he was retiring, and now he's being replaced by Brett Kavanaugh, we're replacing a justice who... Although conservative was, I would say, a swing voter on many critical issues, casting important votes over the years to affirm Roe versus Wade, the major Supreme Court decision um, upholding a woman's right to terminate um, a pregnancy under some situations. He also wrote um, all the leading opinions um, upholding the rights of, of um, same-sex couples or um, gays and lesbians. And in a couple of other cases, he also was critical in terms of cases striking down on the juvenile death penalty. So he, he, he was a very influential. In fact, I'll give you one more statistic. There was one year in which there were 24-5-4 votes on the Supreme Court. He was in the majority in all 24 of them. That's, that's pretty significant. Oh. So, so he's, he's leaving, being replaced by Brett Kavanaugh, who by all accounts, looking at his Court of Appeals record, um, will be more reliably conservative than Anthony Kennedy. And so many people are suspecting that we would see the Supreme Court move further to the right um, in terms of a host of issues, whether it's on um, LGBTQ issues, whether it is on issues regarding abortion, criminal due process, et cetera, et cetera. So from a constitutional perspective, he potentially, that is Brett Kavanaugh, firms up, let us say, the, the conservative voters or the conservative wing of the Supreme Court, which will have implications down the line for lots of different types of issues. All right. And one of the things here I was reading tonight is that overall the more conservative members of the court are 
younger, yes. whereas some of the more liberal justices are older. And this is something, again, a position for life. I mean, he's only in his early 50s, I believe, 53, 54. He could be on the Supreme Court for more than 30 years. Correct. That we're see- that Anthony Kennedy was on the court for over 30 years, the longest reigning judge, of, or longest serving judge, I shouldn't say reigning, longest serving justice was William O. Douglas at almost 40 years. But we're probably looking at somebody who could be on the bench, you know, barring something else that could happen, health, you know, health issues or whatever, at least 30 years. And, and we have, as you're correct here, we've got on the liberal wing, we've got Breyer and Ginsburg, um, who are, I believe, in their 80s and, and possibly giving, this is important to think about here, possibly giving a Donald Trump either in the remainder of his first term or if he were to win a second term, um, a possibility of replacing one or both of them also. Uh, in terms of the, the, the conservative nature of this court now, which is clearly conservative in terms of, of the majority of conservative justices, you mentioned issues like abortion, uh, gay marriage. Does this mean that those positions that have been law – I mean gay marriage has only been in law for a few years now. Uh, of course, uh, Roe v. Wade has been in place now for decades – Will those be rolled back, or do you think it will be different cases that come up that will chip away at it? I think on the same-sex marriage issue, I think that's an issue that is probably largely settled at this point. Um, And I I really don't see the court reversing itself on that because of the – first, I think because of the number of same-sex couples who are are, um, married. Also, I think public opinion is firmly – firmly on the side of, um, of marriage equality. And with that, there are a lot of Republicans who are also gay or lesbian who are married. So that one I don't see. Or I do see issues in terms of, let us say, LGBTQ issues um, being stymied. Is for example on transgender issues, you know, or issues regarding employment discrimination against gays and lesbians or transgender or housing discrimination. Um, I do not see this court probably pushing further in that area, nor do I see the Trump administration put pushing in that area. So I think same-sex marriage is barring something completely strange. Um, that, that battle is over. The abortion one, I also don't see Roe versus Wade being overturned. But now speaking again as a constitutional law professor, you don't have to overturn cases to really overturn them. You can chip away. You can narrow them. You could say, for example, that while Roe is still good law, you're going to allow for, let us say, more state regulations of, let us say, during the second and first trimesters. So that's, that's where I see some possibilities occurring. Less likely, although not impossible, to see Roe get directly um, overturned. One of the things that we are hearing um, from – well, it's not just liberals or Democrats, but we're actually hearing uh, – I think there's more than 2,000 law professors across the nation, even the, the former dean of, of Yale Law School where uh, Justice Kavanaugh uh, went to law school, uh, saying that they're concerned about uh, the partisan nature of what he had to say during those hearings uh, after uh, Dr. Blasey Ford spoke out. Uh, why why is there so much concern about that well this is a big concern because even though unfortunately we know that the supreme court is a political institution we have incredible amount of research that says the best predictor of how a justice will vote 
who appointed him as president. We've had research for years telling us that political ideology fits in somewhere in terms of influencing decisions. It's always been at least important to the, the Supreme Court's legitimacy to at least be, um, um, at least have a veneer of looking like they are not involved in partisan politics and they're beyond it. And cases, for example, you know, 18 years ago, Bush v. Gore, you know, which involved the Supreme Court resolving the 2000 presidential race, chip away at that. And what people are concerned about now is the fact that when Justice Kavanaugh um, defended himself last week in sort of invoking the culture wars, going back to um, um, attacking um, Secretary Clinton. Um, all, he, he said that he felt that the, that the Democratic effort here or exactly. was all a, you know, a hit job for revenge for the Clintons. Exactly. And so this makes it difficult, I think, for the court in general and for him in particular if there are more, again, I speak as somebody who teaches election law also, if we get more election law cases that come before the Supreme Court that involve, let us say, Democrat versus Republican issues, um, if it's a 5-4 decision upon which he is the casting the fifth vote, there will be significant um, concern that 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 it's because of what naked naked power politics. One of the things I talk about in my classes is to say that you know, judges and justices should never look like they are politicians with robes, and this becomes a danger. Now, this is the part where I also want to talk about politics on the court in a different way. Chief Justice Roberts, I think, is astutely aware of the court's legacy in, in role in American society. And some people may not know or may not realize that when Obamacare was challenged in court, um, Supreme Court, he originally cast a vote against it and shifted and upheld it. Um, some chief justices are strategic that way. This is going to be interesting to see how the chief justice now postures um, in light of the controversies that happened for the last few weeks, because I do think that Justice Roberts cares immensely about the, the reputation and the, the institution of the Supreme Court. So this may create its own interpolitical dynamic also. All right. We have to take a break. Uh, when we come back, uh, I wanted to sort of get your take on, on the wrenching political nature of, of what has happened in the past few weeks, a, a nation really uh, torn apart. Uh, I don't think there's any other way to say that. Uh, and then uh, we also have to take uh, an update from CBS News uh, at the bottom of the hour. But uh, keep it right here, folks. We've got Professor David Schultz uh, to talk about all of this. Uh, you're listening to News Radio 830 WCCO. It is 824 in the Twin Cities. Esme Murphy back on a Saturday night for the first time in a very long time, joined by Professor David Schultz of Hamlin University. Uh, huge day in news today. Uh, Justice Kavanaugh, Brett Kavanaugh, approved by the United States Senate 50 to 48, and he was actually sworn in as the United States Supreme Court Justice earlier this evening, so he is actually on the Supreme Court. Uh, Professor David Schultz, wrenching uh, – debate, uh, massive protests in Washington. Uh, what does this, how is this going to play in, in the midterm elections? Well, certainly, if the midterm elections weren't already going to be um, really charged, they've kind of, if I can use the phrase, turbocharged they have. And one thing that they've really done is, is, is really gotting, got the Republicans energized. If we look back a couple of weeks ago, three weeks ago, Democrats were really excited about um, the 2018 midterm elections. 
Democrats seem to have a significant advantage in terms of um, perhaps taking back the House of Representatives um, and doing well in a lot of maybe in some of the Senate seats, but maybe not taking back the Senate. But now the controversy has pushed it to where Republicans are are just as enthusiastic or just as interested in the 2018 elections as are the Democrats, which means going into now what the home stretch of what the next 30 days, um, we're going to see both parties um, um, very intensely campaigning in an election year that was already intense. And of course, whatever happens as a result of the 2018 elections, um, we're going to be still what? An incredibly bitterly divided country. The public opinion polls have huge partisan splits in terms of their views on Kavanaugh, on Trump, um, on Ford, um, um, on, on lots of different things. And so, so for the 2018 elections, um, this just made an election that was already nasty, um, even nastier. Now, taking us further down the line, we're obviously going to be thinking about 2020, but also even further down the line, to what extent do we locate the Kavanaugh um, um, confirmation with, with Dr. Ford's testimony um, along a, a continuum in terms of uh, uh, Bill Cosby, Harvey Weinstein, um, and a whole host of other individuals in terms of what it does for women in politics. And we know this year um, there are more women running for, for political positions, for political seats in the United States than at any point ever in American history. You know, and, and you mentioned that this has energized conservatives in a way that and certainly the president in these rallies, including the one in Rochester, said, you know, this midterm election is about me. He's the one who mocked uh, Dr. Ford with, about her testimony. I mean, he has really uh, gotten people uh, on the conservative side very impassioned about this. It's not clear, though, is it, who's going to turn out? Uh, because, you know, it, it, before the vote today, uh, Senator Schumer and, and also Senator Klobuchar afterwards said, if you're upset about this, Democrats, you you got to do something and you've got to vote. And, and that's, you know, you, you wonder, it's not clear to me who will, will come out and vote or will people be alienated by this process? Well, this is exactly the question here, because this is, this is does, does this... You're right. Does this alienate um, critical voters that the Democrats need um, to be able to do well in the election? And you and I over the years have talked about how um, still the single most critical voter in, in the United States in terms of a swing voter are suburban women. And that, I think, still becomes the interesting question now that even before the Brett Kavanaugh hearings, the Me Too movement um, um, had really significantly energized suburban women to show up to vote uh, and vote Democratic, it looked like it, in ways that we didn't see in 2016. The question now becomes, how do these hearings and how does what's happened over the last few weeks affect especially that group of voters? Because... Again, if they do turn out to vote, suburban women, um, it, it's um, in, in numbers that the Democrats are hoping for, and we know, but that really becomes the question here. To what extent, and I've heard this from some of my students, um, and again, they may not be the best sample here, um, but sort of saying, well, this just proves the system you know, doesn't work or it's not worth showing up to vote, et cetera, et cetera. We don't know. That's, that's why these next, what, literally less than 30 days are going to be critical in terms of mobilization. 
All right. We're chatting with Professor David Schultz. Um, in less uh, than two minutes, we are actually going to take an update from CBS News. Uh, you know, one of the issues that, that I find so interesting, too, is the fact that while in Minnesota you can register the same day, in many states you can't. And and the, the, the window may have closed, in fact, in some states for registration, hasn't it? That's correct. In many states um, that you have to do at least 30 days um, before the general election, some states even longer. Um, I'm from New York where um, it's, it's, I think it's still 30 days at this point. Um, there's only a few states in the country, about eight or ten, mostly in the upper Midwest, where it is election day registration, where you can show up um, at that point in, uh, on election day, and 15% of the people who vote in Minnesota register on election day. So even for people who have suddenly gotten very angry now in the last few days, if they're not registered to vote in a state that requires early registration, they're not going to be able to vote. And, and that's certainly an issue as well. Um, do you want to let you know we are going to continue this conversation with Professor David Schultz uh, after uh, an update from CBS News. We also want to give you some weather as well. But uh, among the issues here, uh, winners and losers, uh, the emergence of Amy Klobuchar uh, from one of these hearings as somebody who has gotten national attention for keeping her cool in a very tense exchange with uh, Judge Kavanaugh. But again, uh, if you're just joining us, the United States Senate has uh, voted to approve Justice Kavanaugh, and just shortly, a short time ago, uh, he was sworn in as a United States Supreme Court justice. He is actually on the Supreme Court right now. Uh, right now, we are going to go to CBS News with an update on Justice Kavanaugh. It is 8.35 on a very busy Saturday evening. Esme Murphy, along with Professor David Schultz, we are breaking down the latest developments in the Senate approval of Justice Kavanaugh to be on the U.S. Supreme Court. He has already been sworn in, so he is now officially a justice of the United States Supreme Court. Uh, Professor David Schultz, uh, your thoughts about Senator Amy Klobuchar, who had a uh, tense confrontation with Justice Kavanaugh in the hearing, uh, this is the hearing right after Dr. Christine Blasey Ford testified, and Senator Klobuchar, who is a former prosecutor, uh, referenced the fact that her own father is an alcoholic and that she's very sensitive to, to alcohol issues, and then asked him if he had ever blacked out. Um, obviously, the Klo- Senator Klobuchar trying to get at whether it was possible if perhaps he had attacked uh Dr. Blasey Ford and not remembered it. And in a very confrontational manner, Justice Kavanaugh put it back on her and said, well, have you blacked out? And this kind of went back and forth. Uh, It's an excerpt from the hearing that's gotten a ton of play. There have been a lot of columns written about it nationally. It's an excerpt that that has uh, been played in, in TV stories about, you know, people questioning his temperament. Your thoughts about that exchange, was that something that you normally see in a confirmation hearing. That's a very unusual situation like that. Again, this, you know, I put this, first off, I put this confirmation hearing up there with the Anita Hill, Clarence Thomas, and the Robert, in, 90, in 91, um, for Clarence Thomas and Robert Bork in 86, as, as probably, you know, in the last hundred years, the three most um, contentious and unique in terms of confirmation hearings, in terms of how the politics played out. But with this one especially, um, you know, when you're talking about, you know, Senator Klobuchar, clearly for people who are Democrats and I would say 
who identified themselves as incumbents. Um, um, this, you know, this this is a shining moment for her. I know when you said that she gets lots of accolades for this. Um, go look in, in, let us say, Republican and conservative circles. Not quite as 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 generous, but but it certainly plays out in terms of her keeping her cool, um, of her sort of pressing the case against Brett Kavanaugh, um, and in ways that I think put him in a very uncomfortable situation that for, um, for, for again, for many Democrats and independents, was critical to turning their opinions against Kavanaugh in terms of his fitness to be a justice. Right. Um, again, you know, Senator Klobuchar getting a lot of kudos at it. And I think what you mentioned, too, is is keeping her cool. In other words, and we have seen some moments uh, where Senator Cory Booker, who was also on the uh, Judiciary Committee earlier in an earlier phase of the hearings, uh, sort of announced that he was going to release all of these confidential uh, documents saying, well, this is my I am Spartacus moment. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you had Kamala Harris, uh, the senator from California, walking out of the hearings. And you had her uh, sort of main, maintaining – I'm not sure if decorum is the right word, but I think that some of the cool. analogies were this cool. is sort of the anti-Trump because right. she is sort of not sort of losing her temper as were so many others during this right. whole thing. Um, and, and certainly um, you know, Justice Kavanaugh did have some tense moments. He did try and turn that on. Uh, I think Senator Sheldon Whitehouse, when, when Shel- Senator Whitehouse asked about his drinking and he kind of flipped it on S- Senator Whitehouse, it, it wasn't quite as confrontational. Um, what do you expect uh, of Senator Kavanaugh on the court uh, in some of the early days? Do you think he's going to kind of rein it back or – I mean because he wrote an, an op-ed in, in the uh, Wall Street Journal that he actually regretted some of the comments that he had made uh, in the hearing. Yeah, he's – I mean – I mean, well, first off, there used to be this body of literature um, in political science that used to be called the freshman effect that claimed that justices, when they first got on the court, um, exhibited characteristics that, that you would not see when they were more mature on the court. And these are, by the way, these are words that political scientists used to use. They used to say that they were bewildered or overwhelmed. Um, we don't see that anymore, especially with people such as, um, let's say, Gorsuch, who's on now, who served as a court of appeals judge before. And it's the same thing here. I suspect that Kavanaugh will more or less hit the ground running because he's been a court of appeals judge for many years, um, has, has, I think, it's already experienced in this area. So I, I, I don't, I'm not really convinced that we're going to see him, let's say, um, Whatever metaphor we're looking for, analogy here, sort of, you know, being hesitant in terms of what he's doing here. Um, I think he probably believes that the piece that he did um, in, um, in, in the Wall Street Journal saying he may, he may have um, um, acted out of character or he may have um, overreacted, I think he considers that his apology, and I'm not sure and, we're going to see anything moving beyond that. And he did apologize to Klobuchar. Um, yes. he, he did apologize to that, you know, but... Um, and she said she accepted his apology, uh, but it did. It did seem that that particular exchange seemed out of bounds. It was even. It was even sort of mocked on on Saturday Night Live. Um, I think maybe we'll take a break now. What I want to ask you about is that Democrats are already saying, if they take back the House, they are going to begin impeachment proceedings against him. Uh, this is this is here coming from a congressman who who would be the chair of the House Judiciary Committee. 
Uh, I want to ask Professor David Schultz, who again is a constitutional law professor, is that even possible? How does that work? Is that counterproductive? Uh, does it uh, just deepen the divide? I think obviously it probably would. But uh, – We'll, we'll, we'll take on that subject because it's already being thrown out there uh, right after this on News Radio 830 WCCO. Murphy, along with Professor David Schultz, breaking down the extraordinary news tonight. Uh, Justice Brett Kavanaugh is now on the United States Supreme Court. The Senate approved him, and he was sworn in just a few hours ago. Uh, Professor David Schultz, we're already hearing from some Democrats about possible impeachment proceedings if they win enough votes uh, to take back the U.S. House of Representatives. First of all, let me just ask you this. Is it possible that Democrats could take back the U.S. House of Representatives? Yes, yes. I would still, I would still say they have a better than even chance, but not a guaranteed chance. The real battleground, again, is in the suburbs. And just to sort of reiterate something we talked about before, um, right now there are about 28 um, Republican suburban swing seats um, that, that, that could go either way. Um, there's only one Democratic suburban swing seat um, out, out of 90. So, so the Democrats have an opportunity here. Whether or not they can capitalize it becomes an interesting question. But most people are saying better than an even chance right now the Democrats can take the House of Representatives back. I would personally put it at 50-50 myself. All right. Let's let's go to this talk of impeachment. Uh, can Supreme Court justices be impeached? And has it ever happened? Well, yes, they, yes, they can be impeached. Um, there's been efforts to try to impeach Supreme Court justices in the past. Um, there's never been a successful impeachment against the Supreme Court justice. I'm just trying to think. And just I'm, before I, someone pipes in and says there was somebody in the early, early 19th century, um, I don't think there was. Okay. But we have had lower federal court judges impeached and convicted by the Senate. So it is possible. It is the same grounds that you would remove, let's say, the President of the United States for. You can impeach for bribery, um, for treason, or high crimes and misdemeanors. High crimes and misdemeanors um, does not mean you actually have to have committed a crime. Um, un- under under what that phrase means, um, it could mean malfeasance, nonfeasance. It could be lots of different things. And so, from a constitutional perspective, yes, a Supreme Court justice could be um, theoretically impeached. And impeachment starts where the House of Representatives votes on articles of impeachment. If a majority finds at least one article of impeachment, and then it's been turned over to the Senate, where the Senate, by a two-thirds vote, must basically uphold those article, that article of impeachment. So the Senate has to vote to – well, and, and there, there does not seem to be a – lot, a lot of analysts believe that there's a better chance of Democrats winning – the House than Democrats taking over the Senate. Correct. I, I, I don't see any scenario where they would have two-thirds of the Senate. No, I, I see very few scenarios where they win the Senate back, but even if they do, the chances of them getting up to, up to two-thirds are just about impossible for the simple reason that we've got 36 or 35, okay, 35 seats that are up for election this year. Uh, only nine of those seats are being held by Republican, and so just simply on the logic of on the numbers, math, it, yeah, they would they they couldn't pull it off. They couldn't pull it off. All right. Um. So it, it seems like that would be bluster to say the least. 
Yes, yes. And it also now becomes the question here regarding whether or not, from a political point of view, um, first off, we'd have to ask the question, of course, would there be, would there be constitutional grounds to remove Brett Kavanaugh as a justice of the Supreme Court? That becomes obviously a judgment call for the House of Representatives to make. But in terms of politically, I'm not sure this is a smart move because the more the Democrats talk about impeachment, the more this might do what? Encourage Republicans to show up to vote, much in the same way that you have many Democrats who are talking about saying that if they take back the House of Representatives, they might move on impeachment against Donald Trump. There's evidence that that language is getting Republicans um, motivated to show up. The same thing might happen with Kavanaugh. All right. And, and the question is, we talked about Senator Klobuchar, but, you know, there's already a lot of speculation about some of the key figures, uh, key, the key senators in all this. Uh, apparently a GoFundMe page to raise money for whoever opposes Senator Susan Collins, who, of course, was one of the key votes in favor of Judge Kavanaugh, has already raised more than $3 million. She is up for re-election in 2020 in Maine. And the president tonight on Twitter saying, or actually it might have been at the rally in Kansas, saying um, Lisa Murkowski is going to lose in 2022 when, when she is uh, – up for re-election. 2022 seems like an awfully long time away. Uh, 2020 is a lot closer, though. Yeah, 2020 is a lot closer. Um, but with, it's, even if they have two or three million dollars already prepared to go against Susan Collins, you still have to have what a candidate, um, somebody who has a strategy, who has a, a message. And right now, it may be. The, the message is she voted in favor of, 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 of Justice Kavanaugh, but will that still be a message that resonates sufficiently strongly in, let's say, approximately you know, two years, two and a half years? And with that, um, do you have a viable candidate in the state of Maine? I mean, yes, they've got money. They have money out there, but money, you still need to have a candidate. Right. And, and again, it, it's, it's the raw emotion on both mm-hmm. sides that, mm-hmm. that is so extraordinary. And, you know, the president saying tonight that he thinks the turning point in all this was when he was in South Haven, Mississippi, which was a rally that took place, I believe, just two nights before the Rochester rally. So that would have been Tuesday evening. He says the turning point was when he mocked uh, Christine Blasey Ford. Uh, and mocked her testimony uh, and mocked her for, for not being able to remember how she got someplace and, and that she only had one beer. He thinks that was the turning point, and perhaps it was. I think it was, because many people are saying that when he disregarded the advice of the, the Senate Republican leadership, such as Mitch McConnell, and went after her, that did what? That emboldened the other members of the Senate Judiciary Committee to say, guess what? We have the president's support um, to, to go after um, Dr. Ford, including people such as Lindsey Graham. And I think it stiffened the backbone of, of the Republican Party um, and especially of Republican supporters across the country. So I think one of the lessons that Trump and some of the Republicans learned from this um, is that the way that you win is to do what Donald Trump has been doing, which is really no holds holds um, barred fight. And at the same time, I think the message that the Democrats walk away with from this race or from this whole um, um, confirmation hearing is that perhaps they have to fight even harder. And again, that creates the recipe for even more confrontational elections in the next few weeks. And then again, whatever may happen after the 2018 elections 
for a continuation of the type of politics that we've really seen for like the last 10 to 15 years. You know, um, I, I know that, that in the end, um, the FBI report concluded that or that, that they, there was no additional corroborating evidence for the actual attack uh, that um, Dr. Christine Blasey Ford described. But there appears to me to have been an awful lot of evidence, and maybe it didn't – it certainly didn't go to the committee, but you certainly read about it, about an awful lot of people uh, claiming that what he, the way he represented his drinking in high school – and college was not accurate and not truthful. Yeah, that, that raises questions about potentially um, his candor and potentially lying under oath. But one of the things I want to come back to, uh, you know, in the little bit of time we have, I know, is the fact that, remember, this was not a criminal proceeding. This was not the issue of, of convicting somebody and having to have, you know, beyond a reasonable doubt. This was not even a civil proceeding where it's preponderance of evidence. You know, this, is, this in many ways was what? A job interview. Um, and, you know, I told somebody today, you know, uh, well, you know <laughs> I'm, I'm a tenured full professor. I'm tenured for life. Um, these type of allegations, had they been raised against me, um, I wouldn't have been able to say, unless you prove beyond a reasonable doubt, you have to give me my job. Like with anybody else who applies for a job, you factor these into the, into the equation regarding whether you want to hire somebody or put them in a particular position. And I just mention that because how we're seeing all this being framed here is in terms of saying, well, her evidence wasn't, wasn't corroborated, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, this, I think it's the wrong approach to how to look at what these hearings were. They were supposed to be um, about whether or not um, the Senate thought that he was fit to serve on the U.S. Supreme Court, not this being a criminal trial in which you had to assess um, the guilt or innocence of Kavanaugh or, or make any other type of sort of criminal law kind of decisions. Right. Well, it's it's the scars from this, I think, are going to be around for a very long time. I mean, the question, of course, and we, we posed it right at the beginning, and, and I guess we'll see in a month, Right. Uh, you know, what the public, uh, how the public reacts. And, and it is, um, as, as Senator Schumer said, if you, if you feel strongly about this, and I think an awful lot of people out there do, vote, vote either way. Mm-hmm. And and the question is which side will be more mobilized? And I think conservatives think they've they've won a big one here, and and clearly they have. Right. And uh, it, it remains to see to be seen who wins at the polls. Um, right. And at some point, we have to think about the fact that in American American politics, issues get resolved how by the ballot box, yes. and for good or for bad, that's really what's going to happen in the next few weeks. The ballot box is going to resolve some of these issues, except. I just don't see that after the November elections, we're going to see any type of, um, of waning of the of the conflict and the animosities that really came to a head this, this last few days. Yeah, I, I would agree with you on that. Well, listen, Professor David Charles, I'm so glad you were uh, with us tonight uh, to, to kind of go over this stuff because of your expertise and certainly your knowledge uh, and your experience uh, and understanding of the law. We certainly appreciate it. Thank you so much, and have a great evening, sir. Same with you. Good night to all. Okay, absolutely. All right, folks, uh, Esme Murphy here. Just want to thank um, uh, Shaletta Brundage, also Jonathan Lowe, uh, our producer, also David Josephson. Great to be with you. Great to be back on CCO Radio. Please tune in to WCCO-TV, 6 a.m. and then 10.30 a.m., the new politics show on WCCO-TV with myself and Pat Kessler. Uh, I'm going to continue this discussion, break down not just only the Kavanaugh hearings, but also the political climate in Minnesota.
realistic. Um, the demo- we really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only twenty-five dollars a month. New iPhone 15s? It's over here. Only at T-Mobile, get four iPhone 15s on us, and four lines for twenty-five bucks per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling accounts to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com.